Thanks, John. Welcome again, everyone, to Grace Church this morning, um, especially if you're new, if this is your first time with us. Um, you're so welcome, even if you're just watching online. We want you to know that Grace Church is a family and you can be part of the Grace Church family. Um, and we'd love to meet you um, in over Zoom and when we can in real life, um, that as well. Um, it is five days until Christmas. And I know that it is quite bittersweet to hear that today, isn't it? Particularly after um, the news of yesterday. Perhaps you've spent uh, yesterday evening on the phone to various relatives, rearranging plans, cancelling food orders. And thinking about Christmas this year actually just feels quite painful. Because Christmas this year will not be as it should be. And that comes after a year that, where things have not been as they should be. I'm sure that most of us are a mixture of frustration and confusion and exhaustion and sadness this morning. The music and the trees and the presents, as lovely as they are, create a kind of strange contradiction in our heads this year. So we try to reconcile the lightness that we want to feel at, in, at Christmas time and the heaviness that we're carrying from a disorientating year. But the season of Advent has always been about this contradiction. Advent is a season of tension between the darkness and the light. If, when I say the word Advent to you, you um, immediately think of chocolate Advent calendars, then the main Advent tension you will have experienced in your life is probably just the internal struggle of eating one chocolate per day. But there is so much more to Advent, to the time of Advent, than just ticking off days until we get to Christmas. It is a time of celebrating that the light has come to us and a time when we also know we are waiting in the in-between with hope for a light that is yet to come. It's about receiving in faith the gift of Jesus, our Saviour, and about longing for him to come and take us to a place where faith becomes sight and where the unseen becomes seen. Advent has always been about the tension of the now and the not yet. But this year, 2020 in particular, I believe that Advent has something to teach us about the whole Christian life, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus who knows that he has come and that he is coming. Because this year of knowing that things are not as they should be, point us to a time where we know they will be as they should be. Um, the author Fleming Rutledge talks about Advent as the only time the church is ever in, a time of the now and the not yet. We see this tension between the, between the now and the not yet in the life of a woman who I think is Christmas's best kept secret. She is tucked away in the story of Jesus's birth in the book of Luke. Her name is Anna and she is a widow. 
She meets Jesus when he is just at the beginning of his days on earth and when she is coming to the end of hers. We read about her in Luke 2, um, verses 36 to 38. They'll appear on the screen, but read along in your Bible if you have one. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So here we have the elderly Anna, daughter of a man that we know nothing about, from the tribe of Asher, which we know very little about. And until this verse, we wouldn't have even known any records had been kept of that tribe. Anna was married for seven short years and then a widow for 60. That's just one verse in our Bible, but that's years, decades of grief, pain and confusion for her. But Anna didn't allow her pain to become bitterness. Instead, she let the emptiness of this life point her to the fullness of what was coming. Look at verse 37. It says she did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. This is a woman who has not retired. She fixed her eyes not on what was seen, but on what was unseen. I wonder if Paul had Anna in mind when he says um, in 1 Timothy, honour widows who are truly widows. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. This woman, Anna, knew the promises of God. She knew of the faithfulness of God, told in the pages of the scriptures. And knowing the faithfulness of God gives us courage to pray for his promises to be fulfilled. He is sovereign. He will do what he says he will do, but he loves to bring the things he does about through the prayers of his people. As Pete Gregg says, the hinge of history is the bended knee. And the hinge of history here was the bended knee of this old woman, Anna. I want you to picture her, 84 years old, maybe slowly shuffling her way up to the temple for perhaps the 20,000th time. Worship in her heart, prayers on her lips for the redemption of Jerusalem for God to finally send the promised saviour who would bring justice and victory, as she has been doing for the last 60 years. It says, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Why is Anna giving thanks? And what hour is this referring to? Well, the answer is uh, slightly back in this chapter um, if we look at Luke um, two, for, um, chapter 2, verse 21, it says, At the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, 
they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves. I only realized the other day that's where the two turtle doves thing in that song comes from. Maybe. I don't actually know. Um, or, or two young pigeons. Anna is giving thanks to God because Jesus has come. How could Luke capture the overflowing joy that Anna must have felt as she saw with her own eyes the answer to her prayers? The answer to hundreds of years of promise and waiting. The answer to decades of Anna's promise and waiting. Here, held in the arms of a young mother. In the Old Testament, they set up this tent called the tabernacle, which was called the meeting place between God and man. In the Old Testament, we read that the glory of the Lord came and rested on the tabernacle. Here, the tabernacle is no longer a tent, but a building called the temple. And the glory of the Lord is coming back into the temple, this time as one of the people. Jesus is the glory of God made man. He is the presence of God walking our streets and breathing air that he made. He came to fling wide the ancient gates of the temple and welcome those who were far away to come and behold the face of God. So Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus are in the temple and coming up at that very hour, Anna becomes one of the very first people in human history to recognize Jesus for who he is. What I love about this story is that God saw Anna all those years that she did not depart from the temple in worship and prayer. He saw her life with its suffering and obscurity. The life of a widow would have been a difficult one quite easy um, for widows to be forgotten, which is why the, why the Bible reminds us so many times to remember the widow. He saw her and he chose her to be in the temple and to see his face. I think of God hearing Anna's prayers day after day after day, holding her tears in a bottle, as it, said in, it says in the Psalms, and whispering to her, I'm coming soon. I'm coming to you. And isn't that just so like God to choose a woman like Anna, to entrust his story into the most vulnerable, the most ordinary hands? Just one chapter before we meet Anna, the pregnant Mary sings a song of praise, and she says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Throughout the Bible, we see that God delights in choosing the forgotten, the outcast, and the poor to tell his story. And that includes the characters of the story of his birth. Jesus is the only person in history who was able to choose how he would be born. And out of all the great cities, grand palaces that he could have chosen, instead he came to the most ordinary people and chose them to be his family. 
An ordinary mother who had an ordinary fiancé, born in an ordinary town called Bethlehem, which incidentally means house of bread, the most ordinary of objects. In the Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, we sing the line, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. The people staying or living next door to the house in which Jesus was born wouldn't have known anything remarkable had happened at all. A young couple had delivered their firstborn child, and that happens every day. Jesus looked like a normal baby and cried like a normal baby. I always think it's really funny in that, uh, in Away in a Manger, that line that says, no, no crying he makes. <laughs> I always think that would have made Mary laugh if she heard it. Of course, the birth of Jesus didn't take place entirely without celebration. There was that heavenly fanfare, hundreds of angels singing this glorious symphony in the skies. But perhaps we've heard that story so many times or seen um, so many kids with uh, tea towels on their heads that we've forgotten how surprising it is that these herald angels singing glory to the newborn king choose the most ordinary people that they could find to be their audience. Shepherds out working by night on the hillside of the Judean countryside. As Jesus writes himself into his own birth narrative, what is he teaching us about himself when he comes to people like Anna and not to kings or princes? He's showing us the kind of savior that he came to be, the kind of death that he came to die and the kind of life that he came to live. Paul tells us in Philippians that Jesus, though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus came to a stable and he came to people like Anna to display his heart to us, his heart of compassion, his heart of humility. He walked our streets, he did ordinary things and in doing so, he shined such dignity and hope into our ordinary and into the day-to-day -day of our lives. And haven't we been faced <laughs> with the ordin ordinariness of life this year? The same day on repeat. The house always needs cleaning because you're all in it all the time. You know every leaf in the park by your house. Anna probably felt that she had lived the same day over and over again. The familiar hunger from fasting. The same words of the Psalms and the prophets so familiar on her lips as she prays their words again. But it is in the ordinary that Jesus came to meet us. And it's in the ordinary that God teaches us how to wait, how to live a life of hope-filled Advent. Anna's whole life was an Advent, waiting for Jesus to come, trusting in the promises of God. And just as she represents the waiting of her people, Israel, 
she also represents us, the church, because we too are without our bridegroom. The church is waiting for Jesus to come back. And he really is coming back. This isn't it. This isn't all there is. In Romans 8, we read, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And a few verses later, Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. How do we wait with patience? How do we wait like Anna? I think that we see it in this description of Anna where it says she did not depart from the temple. Anna received her ordinary days as a gift and she used them to worship in the waiting. She could have given up coming to the temple, but she did not lose or leave her post. She would have had every reason to leave disappointed and bitter after years of waiting, after years of feeling alone. But she did not depart from the temple. In what ways are you tempted to depart from the temple? Maybe there are some layers of pain and disappointment that have built up over the past few months that are just making it hard to trust God or even to spend time with him. Remember his faithfulness to Anna. He sees you. He came into our world so that he could say with all sincerity, I know how you feel. Maybe you wouldn't say that, but you do feel that it would be easier to just kind of slip into a spiritual hibernation. Just wait for this all to be over before you really start seeking him again. I love this from the writer Clara Costello. She says, in the Bible, waiting is never idle. We do not waste away while we wonder when the Lord will return. When we wait in expectation, we do not just sit idly by. We lift our eyes, strengthen our weak knees, and put our hands to the plow and choose not to look back. We choose to press on and press in, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. As we reflect and remember his first coming, we call out for his second, longing for the consummation where all things are made new, knowing that he will come in the fullness of time. Isn't that great? We all have a decision to make after this year and a decision that I think we have to keep making day after day. Whether we let the pain of this year make us more bitter or more hopeful. Let us not allow the disappointments of this year to turn us in on ourselves, to turn us to comforts or distractions that will pass away like grass. But instead, let us choose to be an Advent people, 
with our eyes fixed on the horizon, the soon coming of Jesus Christ. In uh, the story, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, one of the characters says, here is always winter, but never Christmas. Which I think pretty well sums up how this year feels, especially after yesterday. But Jesus is coming. And when he does, the sufferings of this present time will not be worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As we near the end of Advent for another year, draw comfort from knowing that because of Christmas, God has drawn near to the quietest of your day-to-day, defrosting the car, preparing dinner, planning for a Christmas that feels lonely. As we wait through the night for the sun to come again. He came to us as he promised. Let us rejoice. He is coming again to us as he promised. Let us, like Anna, worship in the waiting. We're going to do that now. Can I invite you, if you are able to stand where you are, to fix your eyes on that horizon and let us worship in the waiting.